1: Merry meet everybody and welcome to the Little Woman podcast. Today's comment shout out goes to Melanie, who left this comment on my YouTube channel. As for preferring Professor Bear to Laurie to coin a phrase, oh well duh, he was an experienced man in all the right ways without being worldly and superficial. He was a man of literature and philosophy. Who still practiced what Louisa May Alcott called practical philosophy in helping the weak and poor, unlike her lofty but impractical father who neglected his duty to his own family in pursuit of his own version of integrity. Joe was never going to fall in love in a romantic way with a mere unfledged boy, adopt them as brothers and sons, etc., but not love them romantically. She had to respect a man to love him, and she told Lowry as much. Friedrich had a deep personality, no surface about it. He was authentic and authentically good while still being unassuming, but he did have a proper and that is to say, true self respect. It is so obvious to me that he was everything that Joe admired and respected. It was an easy next step to love him, the more so as he loved her while never pressuring, or her, pursuing, I can only reiterate that I can completely understand having been in a 40-year marriage with a man with those qualities. He's been dead almost three years, and I know my other half of myself is missing to this day. I understand Joe's love for such a man completely. Their partnership-style marriage, as two people in complete sympathy, as far as their plans for the future could mesh, their priorities, about what really mattered in life was meant to be. Really, I just can't say enough about what seems so obvious to me, it really surprises and perplexes me that it's such an affront to so many. Considering Louisa May Alcott's adolescent crush on Emerson and feelings about Thoreau, not to mention her love of German culture in its highest forms how why would she not fall in love with Frederick? at the only time we ever see him become vehement if not indignant in his dealing with another person was in a very good cause when he saw at the symposium the sneering attitude of a learned man at a certain christian tenets he saw joe's confusion her puzzlement and her unease at this attack on one of the basic foundations of her raising, granted a form of Christianity in its transcendentalist version. Professor Bear, besides arguing against this view solely on principle, seemed to know that Jo needed something, a lifeline, to keep from being drowned in soul-destroying doubt by the sophistry she was hearing. And so I applaud Professor Bear for providing one most eloquently and with sense and conviction. I really love this podcast. I can thank you enough for exploring this topic and the argument for her preference for Frederick Baer. I also feel that the fact that he had two nephews to bring to the equation must have been a point on his favor. Joe would have been in her element helping to raise two such boys. End quote. This was such a nice comment. And very fitting for this episode, for Christina and I, continue to dissect the chapter Friend, which is, in my humble opinion, one of the most misadapted chapters in Little Woman films, because, for some reason, in Little Woman movies, and Friedrich argue about your writing when, in the book, that never happens. <laughs> And it is weird that people use something against Fredrik that Louisa May Alcott never wrote. I feel really bad about Louisa May Alcott for Greta Gerwig abused her this way. And I know Barbie is a plastic doll, but I feel bad for her as well. I know lots of Little Woman fans who are Joe and Fredrik fans and they love, love, love Little Woman. And this chapter, Chapter Friend, is their favorite chapter in Little Woman. Because it includes the symposium. And this is another scene that is not adapted very often. When Joe lives in New York, she enters to symposium with Frederick And in this symposium, Cho is very eager to meet all these famous people that she has been admiring. Only to see that they are just regular folks. There is a, a debate between... Some of the young philosophers and one of these men starts to talk about atheism and this really shatters joe's world now remember this book was written in the 19th century by louise may alcott who was a christian she came from transcendentalist movement and transcendentalism was a christian movement sometimes i like to wonder if this was something that happened to her If she experienced something like this, that she went to a symposium and there was some young blazing 80s talking about 80s views, and then maybe Henry David Thoreau or Walter Emerson was speaking for religion. And this was something that moved Louisa. There's a moment in the book when the narrator writes that the moment when Friedrich speaks about his views and his fate that is a moment that joe remembered for the rest of her life because it was such an impactful important moment for her so i think we can assume that this moment in the book it does have some kind of base in reality and it is just wonderful and this is little woman podcast joe and Fredrik enter the symposium was reading about this frank leslie's weekly illustrated newspaper and weekly volcano is a caricature of this newspaper a lot of the things that i came up with was that this newspaper was it wasn't really a newspaper but sensational publication and it was very popular because it liked to play with these gory details about all these murders and trials and whatnot And then every time and there was somebody who was like a, I don't know, maybe killed his wife. And there were all these horrible details about this person. And most of the times those things were completely made up. And that's the way a lot of stories are still sold today. Like people add these details that are not necessarily true, but they have this sort of entertainment value. So they just sell it with, with extras.
2: Yeah, and I I feel like thinking about what makes a story sense of truth in it, true emotions, true thoughts, something that feels, even if a story is fantastical, I'm just trying to think of a good example. Like, well, let's just say Harry Potter. Even though the world is fantastical, there is still a sense of truth in it in the sense that we all have had that feeling at some point in our lives of feeling like we don't belong that feeling like maybe there is something different in us, but in this world we can find something that can make us feel like we belong. So I don't think that that any sort of fantasy story or sci-fi or magical whatever is bad as long as there is this sort of one true human thing that we can connect to because because that's really what fairy tales and fables go back to is that they were to help tell a moral or help to get across this idea that would have made better sense in a fantastical way. It's like how they say in musical theater, you could just say, I love you, but you can get the feeling out more A song, like you can truly get the understanding of the emotions better in the in how you sing it and how the music is. You know when again sensationalism is just. She tries to put truth in it in the sense of facts, but no, no heart, no characters that are likable or developed that have an arc. And it can happen in short stories. I've seen that happen. So it's not impossible, but she's definitely being stifled because it's what she's being asked for and what she knows helps to give her the money she needs to help pay for her family.
1: The target audience is not ideal for Joe either. It does give the impression that these stories are sought for maybe middle-class people in New York who are not very literate. They just buy the stories for a moment of thrill. I would imagine like, if there was some kind of political debate or some kind of tragedy that happens, these kind of magazines would write about them in very colorful ways and yeah. make money for themselves.
2: Right, yeah. Exploiting, that would be the word I would
1: think Yeah. Of. She was beginning to feel rather than see this For much describing of other people's passions and feelings set her to studying and speculating about her own. A morbid amusement in which healthy young minds do not voluntarily indulge. Wrongdoing always brings its own punishment, and when Joe most needed hers, she got it. I don't know whether the study of Shakespeare helped her to read character or the natural instinct of a woman for what was honest, brave and strong. But while endowing her imaginary heroes with every perfection under the sun, chose was discovering a live hero who interested her in spite of many human imperfections. Mr. Bear, in one of their conversations, had advised her to study simple, true and lovely characters whenever she found them as good training for a writer. She took him at his word, for she coolly turned around and studied him, A proceeding which would have much surprised him, had he known it, for the worthy professor was very humble in his own conceit. Why everybody liked him, was what puzzled Joe. At first, he was neither rich or great, young or handsome, in no respect what is called fascinating, imposing or brilliant, and yet he was attractive as a genial fire, and people seemed to gather about him as naturally as about a warm hearth he was poor he had always appeared to be giving something away a stranger yet everyone was his friend no longer young but as happy-hearted as a boy plain and odd yet his face looked beautiful to many and his oddities were freely forgiven for his sake jo often watched him trying to discover the charm and at last decided that it was benevolence which worked the miracle If he had any sorrow, it sat with its head under its wing, and he turned only his sunny side to the world. There were lines upon his forehead, but time seemed to have touched him gently, remembering how kind he was to others. The pleasant curves about his mouth were the memorials of many friendly words and cheery laughs. His eyes were never cold or hard, and his big hand had a warm, strong grasp that was more expressive than words. His very clothes seemed to partake of the hospital nature of the wearer. They looked as if they were at ease, and liked to make him comfortable. His capacious waistcoat was suggestive of a large heart underneath. His rusty coat had a social air, and the baggy pockets plainly proved that little hands often went in empty and came out full. His very boots were benevolent, and his colors never stiff and raspy like other people's. You can tell that she wanted to have his babies.
2: Yeah. yeah, it is definitely a very descriptive and not even just like physically, just so much of his character and and this is I guess one of the passages that really makes me kinda of think like, Oh, Joe's a semisexual because she's looking more at who his character is and and while there is the talk of like his hands and mouth it still has these you know very wonderful things about it you know like the pleasant curves about his mouth were memorials of many friendly words and cheery laughs um, his big hand had a warm strong grasp that was more expressive than words like you know it's it's detail and it just gives you this very clear picture even though it's not, like, descriptive in the same way of, like, tall with dark hair and blue eyes and whatnot, it gives you a much better sense of who he is as a person. And that gives you this much clearer picture of who he is, and even more so how Joe sees him, which is honestly, if someone described a person to describe someone like that to me, I'd be like, Wow, that's a wonderful person. Like it sounds like he'd be a great friend or even like, you know, let's just say a great boyfriend slash husband. I, I, I can't imagine anybody that reads this and goes, Yeah, well Friedrich's a jerk or I still don't like it. Like how could you not like a person describe
1: that way? Yeah, she was totally into him. This part where it says that yet he was attractive as a genial fire. That was always one of my favorite parts in this entire novel, this whole. And people seem to gather about him naturally as about a womb herd. One of my favorite scenes in Little Woman. And when I was doing the research on the real-life Fredericks, and I was reading this book about Charles Fallen, who was one of the real-life radics. He was a German immigrant, and he moved to America, and then... He fell in love to Eliza Follen, who was this American female writer. So right away we have like German immigrant and American female writer. He was friends with Louisa May Alcott's uncle, Samuel May. This part, he was attractive as a genial fire. Eliza wrote that to her journal the day she met Charles Follin. And Louisa May Alcott read her memory of her husband when she was like a teenager. So that's directly from that book. It was so funny to me because when I read that, I realized like one of my favorite scenes in Little Woman, it's actually written by Eliza Fallen about her husband. It's not written by Louisa May Alcott. (laughs) That was so funny to me. But then I know how much Louisa loved Henry David Tarot. And there's something like that she wrote about him in her journal. So I think they kind of intertwine because I think if, when you are a young person and you want to be in a relationship, and then you are reading this book and there's this couple that you are shipping, everything just sort of mixes together in Little Woman.
2: Then you take from your own life, give life to a story, and if it's something that really affects you personally, good or bad, you use it. And, and honestly, for me, I would try to sort of immortalize the person I care about through my writing because even though let's just you know, let's just say if someone's gone or will be gone, their memory is gonna live on through this story like, oh, I just had it. There was a there was a character that it wasn't little women, but it was a different story where it was based off of like their like mom or someone that they was very close to and uh and it was like, well, this was their chance to, like, make it so that they lived on forever. And, and it just makes me kinda happy to, and like, bittersweet thinking that, again, when you follow the idea that Joe is the avatar for Louise and the Alcott and, you know, Friedrich is Henry David Thoreau's avatar, that they get to have their happy ending, whereas have that with Thoreau, but it's just nice to know that they in some world some version of life they were able to and and it just makes me sad like when people don't know this part of the story and they just go like well who cares about Joan Friedrich Joan of forever and but, like if you knew the backstory if you knew the purpose behind it you would sit there and go oh my god like I love them like even more so than Joe and Lori because there was so much thought
1: and heart put into that relationship. I love this part where Friedrich gives Joe the Shakespeare to help her to study character and I think I think it was that Vermilion flycatcher in Tambrell who said that people say that Friedrich stops Jo's from Joe from writing and then in the book he gives her Shakespeare here. Study character. Right. people don't read the book that's their that's the problem they don't read the book then criticize the films
2: I know it's it's just it really is one of those times where and, and I don't ever try to like truly force anyone to be like you have to read the book before the movie comes out because I've not always done that and sometimes it's because I don't realize that the movie is based off a book either but do because I'm curious to know how different it is from page to screen. But there's not really been I think the only one I can really think of that truly was to heart how the novel was with the BBC version of it, the 1971 which is not really one of my favorite adaptations of Little Women just because some of the casting, I was just like, really? But, um, that's a, another discussion. But yeah, most of the time, the, the film adaptations don't do, like, that part justice. That it does make me go, "But you need to read the book. Because it's so much better. Like, you know, they always say, like, the book is better than the movie. That's what I meant to say. It's one of those few times where I go, like, well, yeah, it, it really is. Because it, it changed character... Stories and and sometimes you sit there and go, well, you know what that that change was necessary because, like, for the movie version of *Water for Elephants*, have you ever seen that or read it?
1: Well, I know it. I haven't seen it.
2: It's good. In the movie, they combined two of the characters, but it makes sense because it's like you mainly saw like new the one, and the other one was just kind of like. Eating the husband to be kind of like abusive because it's like hey, whatever he's good at his what he does and the ringleader is not so big that like you know but, but like in the movie they combine the husband with the ringleader that it it makes sense because they almost were kind of like one in the same just that one was married to this character and the other one wasn't so like certain changes you're like okay I can can forgive and can get by or sometimes changes happen because you know back then when it was written this sort of thing was okay but we know nowadays that it isn't okay if we we're supposed to see this as like a strong again let's just say female character there's no way that a strong female character would have done that but it was written for that time and now you can change it for the movie but like there are just some things that I go, it's non-negotiable and this is to me a non-negotiable scene or moment because it really tells a lot about Joe with her writing and Joe's relationship at that point. Again, Joe at this point has learned how to control her temper well enough so if it doesn't make sense for her to blow up and get mad and be But hurt pretty much by criticism when she's, that is what she's trying to hope for is to be a mature writer and accept criticism. So, sorry, I I can't sit here and believe Joe, again, I call this back, would ever say, You're mean and I don't want to be your friend because you didn't like my story. Like, yeah, great character development. Garwick, great, I love it.
1: It was so weird when Greta Herrick said that. Joe, yeah. we admire Joe for she doesn't want to change or grow. I'm like, Fuck you. <laughs> you have no idea. Like, I never admired Joe for being immature because I don't see her immature in the book. Glory is the immature one. How can you not see that? I don't get her. Anyway, when I was reading this book for the first time, I think this was the chapter where I really started to. Root for Joe and Freddie because there is this part where Joe, she starts to have these mental health problems because of these stories that she's writing, and I don't think that's mentioned in any of the woman movies. And I think that's
0: how powerful is the. Trying to grab all the groceries in one trip? Oof, not how you would have done that. You know sometimes less is more. Like when you drive less and save with the USAA annual mileage discount. USAA, get a quote today.
1: One of the reasons why people struggle to understand this chapter, because we discussed, she goes to do this research on this, mentally ill people and these criminals and she goes to like Mental Elysium or something doing research on poisons. Louisa Mel, she also wrote thrillers and I like some of them. I don't think this is really her specialty necessary. Like I know that Agatha Christie, she was specialized in poisons and stuff. She loved it and she was really good at writing thrillers, but I don't think this really necessary Louisa May Alcott's cup of tea, like I think she was really good at writing thrillers with like psychological elements but not necessarily this kind of something that Miss Marple would do. She starts to have these mental health problems and anxiety because she goes too deep into this research and I have often wondered was this something that Louisa May Alcott experienced because when I read her thrillers, I don't think there is that much of these kind of things that she writes here. And I wonder well, it's possible that what happened to Joe happened to her, because obviously at some point she stopped writing to this particular magazine and focused on other things. Yeah, and
2: I think that, uh, again, if we're looking at Little Women as being
1: sponsor of this episode is Etsy. On Etsy, you can start your own shop and reach their millions of customers. With the link in the description, you can add your first 40 listings for free. Our second sponsor is Bookshop.org. Bookshop.org works to connect readers with independent booksellers all over the world. They believe local bookstores are essential community hubs that foster culture, curiosity, and love for reading and are committed to helping them thrive. Every purchase on the site financially supports independent bookstores. Platform gives independent bookstores tools to complete online and financial support to help them maintain their presence in local communities. You can find the link from the description as well.
2: Being a truth. And and I know that with some writers, they try to do something different and... They're like, eh, I'm not the greatest at that, so I I'll stick with what I know, and that's always fine. Like, I mean, pretty much, Stephen King writes primarily horrors or or uh, sort of these fantastical stories. Like, I think of um, oh, I just read this. What is it called? It's a novella, not explosion, escalation. I don't know, but it it's not like a horror story, but it is a sort of more fantastic. But, like if you know that's what you're good at and you can do it, then fine. Like I don't think I could really ever truly write a horror story because there are just some things that, admittedly, will just like freak me out and I'll stay up like just having like nightmares of it. I, I like horror movies, but like there's some um, some things I'm just like eh, I don't care about that because that's not my type of horror movie. But like, but yeah, the, I like I just get freaked out with like. Even just reading about like certain things, like reading about Jaws, how maybe there was a murder victim hidden Jaws. You ever hear of that or no? No. (laughs) Or the short, long of it is however they say it. uh, A woman was found murdered in I think July or August of the year Jaws came out. And she's just been labeled as a Jane Doe. Many, many years later, oddly enough, Stephen King's son, went to a screening of, like, the 40th anniversary of Jaws and seen a woman in the background who sort of fit the description of this Jane Doe. And the filming was done, like, around that time. And they did say, well, we did get just asked random people, would you mind being a a, a background character for the beach? Because all you have to do is just be at the beach. I was like, I can't read any more of this at night. It will keep me up because it is just one of those, like, freaky coincidence, maybe so, and like stuff like that will keep me up. Um, so I could never write a horror story, and, and it's again, we're looking at Little Women as being a reflection of what happened in real life, I, I, it, I'll take a gander and say Alcott couldn't stomach it either. And that's okay, because she knew what she was good at, and some writers just make a niche of that. They know that the best of their works is fantasy, or the best that they're at is, you know, the romance novels, that's okay. There's always something that we're all going to be good at. can't always have your hand in the cookie jar for every type of cookie, but if you particularly are a fan of chocolate chip, then what's wrong with chocolate chip? Nothing. That's it, said Jo to herself when she at length discovered that genuine goodwill towards another for one fellow man could beautify and dignify even a South German professor, who shoveled in his dinner, darned his own sock, and was burdened with the name of Bear. Jo values goodness highly, but she also possessed a most feminine respect for intellect, and a little discovery which she made about the professor added much to her regard for him. He never spoke of himself, and no one ever knew that in his native city, he had been a man much honored and esteemed for learning and integrity. The so countryman came to see him, and in a conversation with Miss Norton divulged pleasant him facts. Him From her, Joe learned it, and liked all the better because Mister. Bear had not ever told about it. She felt proud to know that he was an honored professor in Berlin, though only a poor language master in America. In his homely, hard-working life was much beautified by the spice of romance which this discovery gave it. Another and better gift than intellect was shown to her in a most unexpected manner. Miss Norton had the entree, in, entree into literary society, which Joe would have had no chance of seeing but for her. The solitary woman felt an interest in the ambitious girl, and kindly conferred many favors of this sort both on Joe and the professor. She took them with her one night to a select symposium,
1: held in honor of
2: several celebrities. Jo prepared to bow down and adore the Mighty Ones, whom she had worshipped with youthful enthusiasm afar off. But her reverence for genius received a severe shock that night, and it took her some time to recover from the discovery that the great creatures were only men and women after all. Imagine her dismay! On stealing a glance of timid admiration at the poet, whose line suggested an Ethereal being fed upon spit, fire, and dew, to behold him devouring his supper with an ardor which much, which flushed his intellectual countenance. Turning as from a fallen idol, she had made other discoveries which rapidly dispelled her romantic illusions. The great novelist vibrated between two decanters with the regularity of a pendulum. The famous divine flirted openly with one of the Madame Sattels of the age, who looked daggers at another Korean, who amiably sit- siturizing her after outmaneuvering her in efforts to absorb the profound philosopher, who embedded tea, Johnson and Lee and appeared to slumber, the loquaciously of the lady rendering speech impossible. The scientific celebrities, forgetting their multicosts, and glacial periods gossiped about art, while devoting themselves to oysters and ices with terroristic energies. The young musician, who was charming in the city like the second Orpheus, talked horses, and a specimen of the British nobility present happened to be the most ordinary man of the party. Before the evening was half over, Joe was completely disillusioned, disillusioned and that she sat down in a corner to recover herself. Mr. Bear soon joined her, looking rather out of his elements, and presently several of the philosophers, each mounted on his hobby, came amb- ambling up to hold an intellectual torment at recess. The conversation was miles beyond Joe's comprehension, but she enjoyed it. Though Kant and Hegel were unknown gods, the subjective and objective, unintelligible terms The only evolved from her inner consciousness, was a bad headache after it was all over. It dawned upon her, gradually, that the world was being picked to pieces and put together on new and, according to the talkers, on infinitely better principles than before, that religion was a fair way to be reasoned into nothingness, and intellect was only to be the god. Joe knew nothing about philosophy or metaphysics of any sort, but a curious excitement, half pleasurable, half painful, came over her as she listened with a sense of being turned adrift into time and space, like a young maroon on a holiday. She looked around to see how the professor liked it, and found him looking at her with the grimmest expression she had ever seen him wear. He shook his head, beckoned her to come away, but she was fascinated just then by the freedom of speculative philosophy, and kept her seat, trying to find out what the wise gentlemen intended to rely upon after they had annihilated the old beliefs. Now Mr. Bear was a definite man, and slow to offer his own opinion, but because they were unsettled, but too sincere and earnest to be lightly spoken. As he glanced from Joe to several other young people, attracted by the brilliancy of lost big cryotechnic, he knit his black brows and longed to speak, fearing that some inflammable young soul would be led astray by the rockets, to find when the display was over that they had an empty stick or a scorched hand.
1: I know lots of Joan Friedrich fans, and this scene where they're in the symposium is their favorite. And um, I think it's quite sad that it's not in any adaptation because yeah. it's a really good scene because I think this shows how Joe and Friedrich have very similar values
2: yeah
1: and, and the, uh, this part where they she describes these other guests I think it goes very much along with this where she's now studying character
2: and the scene is too because it really shows like how
0: how powerful is the cox network so powerful that one day the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away
2: connecting to remote operating room
0: giving a whole new meaning to the term house call
2: operation
1: complete
0: the cox network with gig speeds everywhere it's internet built for tomorrow today cox bringing us closer in cox serviceable areas speeds vary and are not guaranteed cox terms apply other restrictions may apply we made usaa insurance for veterans like james when he found out how much usaa was helping members save he said it's time to switch we'll help you find the right coverage at the right price usaa what you're made of we're made for restrictions apply
2: get to it, sometimes he'll share what he truly believes in as a a definite man, and so to offer his own opinion because he's too sincere and earnest to be lightly spoken. Like, this is not a guy that is careless with his words or speaks without a thought. Like, he is very careful and puts much thought into what he says, And, and I feel like it's a little bit more Admirable when you see someone who puts out an opinion or says something when they feel like it's a theory, and even if they are kind of nervous to do so. Like I, I knew someone that, too. Between us, she would say whatever she felt because she felt comfortable with me to say it. But with other people, particularly with family, she would feel the most comfortable to say it. And I'm like, but it's okay. Like you, you have an opinion, like. And she would say, well I said, don't agree with you. I think it was like, like, gay people deserve rights too. <laughs> and I know that took a lot of guts for her to do it, but she felt it was the right thing to do because it wasn't, she wasn't gonna just stand there and listen to them say these very homophobic things when it's not, not right. But yeah, I, I think losing this scene is not only Shame to see, like, oh, having Joan Friedrich spend time together, which, to my knowledge so far, I think only the 2007 uh, 17 Masterpiece Theater version even mentions a symposium. All the other ones do, like, an opera, which that's fine too, because it is still something that they get to do together and have discussions of. But this offered. I think, a really key insight into Friedrich's character, and that is a huge loss, really.
1: I think in the 1994 film, they tried to do that with the conversation about transcendentalism. Yes, that's Mm -hmm. right.
2: And I was going to say, even the discussion of women's vote, that was also that moment, too.
1: Yeah, I like that.
2: It shows that there's a little bit more than just the love of art. They can freely openly discuss politics and theories and philosophy which is pretty vague when you consider at the time because I just think of another movie it's called Giant and it has Elizabeth Taylor and Rock Hudson and and she's like from I can't remember exactly where, but she's more like a northerner and she marries him and he's like from Texas this is like set in like the 1920s or 30s or so and she goes over to sit and listen into a conversation of what the men are talking about, which is, like, politics, and she's like, why are you stopping? Go ahead, I'm not disturbing you, and like, but this is not something that women discuss, this is men's stuff, and she's like, men's stuff? Don't pull that on me, and listen, you knew what kind of woman you were marrying, so I'm not gonna change myself because of that, because you have weird, old-fashioned prejudice, but it just makes me think of that, like, like, I feel like Laurie would have been more like that. He'd been like, well, you know, that's not something that ladies talk about. But Friedrich is like, yeah, come, let's go. Let's go to this symposium and talk about philosophy and talk about, you know, uh, human rights and and all these things. Because I am curious to know what you think. Again, it's just it's one of those little details I feel like he's missing that says a lot of, Friedrich's character and how he views Joe as this fully fledged woman with thoughts and opinions rather than Laurie, who is just like, just be, just be the, the, the wife. I, I, you know, don't cry. Don't, don't ribble about, you know, you don't have to think about anything. I'll just, I'll take care of you like a pretty little doll. And it's a good contrast. I feel in terms of personalities, that I feel like is often lacking in many adaptations.
1: And I think she says somewhere here, the narrator, that Joe had huge respect for intellect. And it's once again like Laurie doesn't really have that intellectualism that Freddie has. So Joe doesn't really, she's not on the same level with Laurie intellectually actually like has this intellectual craving. She wants to learn new things all the time. And I have a huge respect for Friedrich here because he's basically in this room filled with atheists <laughs> and then he bursts out and defends religion. I'm not a very religious person but like I still like this because when this book was written I'd say most Americans were very religious and it was look down upon if you weren't. And then, because these are, Luceme Albert, her philosophy came from Germany, and a lot of these thoughts on atheists, and they came from Germany. So it's interesting how Friedrich is this German man who defends religion. But Charles Folland, the guy who I mentioned earlier, he was a priest. He He studied theology, and he was a preacher. I can definitely see how we have this German very religious man there sort of standing up against these new ideas. I need to make a whole episode about him because he's really interesting. But I like all these real-life relics, how they come alive here.
2: Yeah, and, and I like it too, like his defense of religion. Again, like you, I'm not like overly religious, but I like the fact that he puts out the argument
1: for anyone that
2: probably feels the same, I believe in religion, or someone that thinks certain things can go together. Like, like I remember reading a thing where someone was like, "Well, yes, I'm gay, but and, and I'm Christian." Like that's, and they were like, "I hate when people try to just assume that. Well, if you're gay, that must mean you're atheist because doesn't religion say you boo to gays?" And he's like, "Well, why? That's not true, but really and." proper translations don't say that, but why can't I be bold? So like, why can't someone have a philosophy, but still have a faith in God? Like I had a science teacher who was full on Italian, full on Roman Catholic. And he was like, like the first day of school, he was like, you see this? He pulled out his rosary, he's like, this I believe in. But once I walk into this classroom, Science is what matters. Like, he was like, I believe that it can be both. I believe in evolution, but I also believe in God. They're not mutually exclusive. You can believe in both. And I am open for discussion of both things. He was really cool. He was like in his 90s. <laughs> but he was, he was so cool and he was so lively. Yeah, I, I think that, again, shows a lot of Friedrich's character and his willingness to speak up and talk about Try to put out the discussion for religion because at that point nobody was making the argument. It was just like, it's kind of like when someone's talking smack about another person and that person isn't there to defend them and everybody's just going to believe that person is bad. But is that really fair when that person isn't there to defend themselves? I like that Friedrich quote, like, gotta give religion a fighting chance (laughs) because to some to many people, they believe in it. So it shows his fairness and his ability to stand his ground, which <laughs> very hufflepuff of him. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that if there was just some version of it done in any film, again, the, the closest I feel like we got from that is the 94 version where there is this more lengthy discussion of transcendentalism and the women's vote, where he stops men from talking to let Joe talk about what it really is like for a woman to want the vote while all these men are talking about, what does a woman feel about a vote? Well, there's a woman right there. So I feel like more versions could have stand to have a little bit more of, of that in their versions.
1: And I've heard some people saying that it's difficult to adapt because they speak about religion and that's like, no, no topic. I'm like, well, we know that this book takes place in 19th century and we know that Louisa May Alcott was uh, Christian. So like, I don't see that as a problem when we know that there's a historical context. So that if somebody is a Christian, it shouldn't offend people.
2: And even if you did it like, let's just say, a modern day, it can still work because, again, it's just the defending of religion. it didn't say specifically defending of Christianity, that Christians are better than Muslims or Jews or anything. It's just, I could see a modern Friedrich being like, why would you take away someone's faith if that is what helps them get through? Or don't we all at some point go, oh, thank you, God, and after something happens? Or... I feel like they can work it in a way that still would feel relevant because religion still is relevant. And again, I could see Friedrich making the argument like, there's nothing wrong with believing both in philosophy and religion, but you can't sit here and say religion is dead or you're stupid if you believe in a god because there are many things that happen in this world that we didn't think could happen. Let's just say, internet. Once the idea during the time of the book, internet would have seemed silly and beyond ridiculous, but we have it now. So, or the thought of aliens, the possibility of life outside of the human world, is it really that crazy? Like I could say here and genuinely think of a way, in a modern perspective, Friedrich could still make that argument and still feel very genuine and very modern and still... I feel like garnish for a respect because it is ultimately what he's defending is the people a people's right to believe in what they want to believe and just they're not stupid for wanting to believe in a higher something.
1: It takes a lot of guts to speak your mind in this kind of situation where these young men they seem quite hostile yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. It says that the atmosphere was very sort of exciting and intense. I can imagine that some of these people want to fight and argue here and get physical. So it it takes a lot of guts to speak your mind. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make good choices. Bye.
2: With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.